Luke chapter 18, hear these words of Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me my justice against my adversary. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give them justice speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word and its wonderful promises. I pray that over the next few minutes, you would stir us up to pray constantly and not lose heart. It's for your name we pray. Amen. I'm really interested and into productivity, uh, books and gurus and tips and anything that I can learn to become a little bit more efficient. Uh, I love to read about it. Uh, I had a friend this weekend tell me that he also loves to read productivity books, but they don't actually make him more productive. He just likes to think about being more productive. And that resonates with me a lot, too. Uh, We need discipline as well as tips. Uh, But one of the most important productivity tips that I've learned over the last few years is to make a difference, a distinguishing, uh, a distinguishment between what's urgent and what's important. Because if we're always controlled by the tyranny of the urgent, then we'll just walk through this life not actually handling our priorities, but helping other people with their priorities. If we only focus on what's urgent, we might do a lot of good things, but we won't push the mission of our life or God's mission forward. So it's important that we don't we don't live as slaves under the tyranny of the urgent, but that we give ourselves to important work. And today, as we consider prayer, we're faced with a task that is both urgent and important. And friends, when a task, according to productivity gurus, when a task is both urgent and important, you don't delegate it. You give yourself to it right away because it's absolutely crucial. Friends, we come today to talk about prayer, which is a task that is both urgent and important. And it's urgent and important because we are incredibly weak. People come to Christianity because they're looking for a motivation. They're looking for some kind of pick-me-up. And friends, the message of Christianity will not really give you much in that area. Because the message of the Bible is not about your greatness, but about God's greatness. It's not about how much strength you have inside of yourself, but how weak you really are. And that's so crucial to know and to believe and to understand because it sets us up to see Christ, the risen Lord Jesus, as the only true hero that we could ever have and rely upon. Friends, we need prayer because we are weak. And the good news is we are not alone 
Our God is a God who hears and responds. The big idea I want you to take home today is that we should always pray and not give up. We should always pray and not give up. And I want us to see that main idea unfold by looking at two truths from this passage in Luke chapter 18, two truths that will motivate your prayer life. The first one, we are incredibly needy. We don't have the resources, we don't have the strength, we don't have the character that we need to follow God or to live fruitfully. We are incredibly needy. So our passage begins, Luke chapter 18, verse 1, and he, that's Jesus, and he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. A parable is a story, but specifically it's a story that makes a comparison between God's kingdom or his character or his actions or his expectations and something in the world. It compares God and his realities with the realities that we see around us. And this parable, like all of Jesus' parables, has an intended outcome. He has a goal. Jesus, the most productive man who ever lived, had a goal in telling this parable. He told them a parable to the effect that. There's a desired outcome. There's something that Jesus wants you to do in response to hearing this word today. And what is that desired outcome? That they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Sometimes we come to the Bible and we say, well, what, what does this mean? Jesus here in Luke 18 does us a favor. He tells us what it means. He tells us the point. He tells us, you ought always to pray and not give up. So friends, you ought always to pray. That doesn't mean that you don't do anything besides prayer, that you lock yourself away in a closet and you never leave, you never talk to anyone, you never serve anyone. We know from the rest of the Bible that's not God's plan for our life. But we ought always to pray. Prayer ought to be the thing that characterizes everything that we do. You know that feeling when you're rushed out the door in the morning because you overslept? And you run out the door and you don't brush your teeth? And like your tongue feels weird all day? And you're like, it's just nasty. And you're like, no matter how many water bottles you drink, your tongue still feels weird and your mouth is like, ah, and you're like, don't want to talk to people because you're worried you're going to offend them with your, with your bad breath. Teeth brushing isn't the only thing we do, but it characterizes everything that we do. Prayer is similar. Prayer is similar. We ought always to pray. We should give ourselves to pray. We ought to feel even weirder about going into the day without prayer than we should going into the day without brushing our teeth. We should always pray. Prayer should be more natural and important to you than breathing. Oh God, may that be so, that we would pray so often that it would become as second nature to us as breathing. We ought always to pray. May prayer characterize everything that you do. We ought always to pray, and specifically, we ought always to pray and not lose heart. We don't give up because of discouragement. And so that's the lesson Jesus wants to share with you today. You ought always to pray and not give up. 
And to get that lesson across, he tells a story. Verse 2. He said, In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. It's important to note that Jesus' parables are fictional stories. They're, they're not based on historical events. He's not telling something that actually happened. He's telling a story that makes a comparison between God's kingdom and character and things that we see and experience. He's not describing an actual event. And so he just says, in a certain city or in a faraway land or long, long ago in a galaxy far, far away, he's just trying to set up the scene. In a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. Whenever you read a parable, we should always rush to make a list of the characters in our mind. And here we see the main character of this story introduced, and he's a pretty horrible person. He's, we're given this, our introduction to this guy, the first impression that we're given to him is that he doesn't care what people think. He doesn't care what God thinks. He doesn't care about anybody. He lives as a law unto himself. He's broken the two greatest commandments which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to love your neighbor as yourself. He doesn't do either of them. He doesn't fear God and he doesn't respect man. He doesn't care about people. You know, sometimes people like to say, only God can judge me. And what they really mean by that is, I don't really care about what anybody thinks, including God. And they're just kind of throwing God's name in there so it sounds a little bit nicer, I guess. That's what this guy would probably say. He'd probably walk around being like, only God can judge me, air quotes. And so there's this man, this judge. He's no fun. Nobody likes him. And, verse 3, there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. Remember, even though that judge has poor character, even though that judge isn't dependable, even though that judge is not even worth his weight in salt, he has authority, he has power, and the widow needs him. So she comes to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Maybe you'll remember, we just finished studying the book of Ruth. And Ruth was placed at the bottom of the social ladder because she was a widow, a foreign widow at that. But Ruth was left completely destitute because she was a widow in a culture that didn't provide many opportunities for widows. Widows were among some of the neediest people in this society. And they need judges to defend them. And of this widow in this certain city, she's stuck with a judge who isn't any good. And so she says, well, what am I going to do? He's not going to help me. And she's crying out for justice. That doesn't mean revenge. She's not crying out, judge, that guy got me. Will you get him? Get me what's mine. No, that's not how the Bible thinks about justice. The Bible does think about justice as punishment for sin from God's hand, but it also includes help for those who are overlooked in this life. It's both the pushing down of the wicked and the lifting up of the lowly. And so this widow comes not with his trivial, selfish want, judge, make my life more comfortable, but with an urgent, desperate need. Saying, I am destitute. I have no way to provide for myself. And I've been wronged and I need your help. Please, judge, please help me. And how does that work out for her? Verse 4. For a while, he refused. 
She comes to the judge every day. She begs for help. And the judge says, whatever, lady, get out of here. I've got more important things to do. And then he like goes and plays a game on his phone or something. I don't know. For a while, he refused. But afterward, he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, there's his wonderful character on display again. At least this time he admits it. At least he's self-aware about it. Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. You see what the widow's been doing. In light of the urgency of her need, she's been coming and coming and coming and coming to the judge day after day after day after day because she had an urgent need. I've been reading this novel recently about a man whose wife went missing and, and he, he just throws himself into the investigation and does whatever he can to help the police and to, and to help recruit volunteers for search parties and when I was reading the book, he's a small business owner as well. And when I was reading the book, I was like, huh, I wonder like, what's going to happen to his business. And I was like, he's not thinking about that at all. Because he has an urgent need. And so he's going to throw everything that he has towards doing whatever it takes to solve that urgent need. Because that's what we do when we have a desperate need. And this widow's need, too, was so desperate, she gave everything she had to do the only thing that she could to see it resolved. And unfortunately, the only thing she could do was appeal to this judge day after day after day after day. You might think, man, what a nag. Well, what else was she going to do? This was her only hope as a woman, a widow, overlooked in this society. She does the only thing she can do, which is to cry out, for help. And friends, like the widow, we are needy. We are needy. And finally, the judge helps her. Finally, he helps her. Not on the basis of the validity of her need or any care that the judge had within himself. The judge helps her purely based on selfish motivations. He's like, maybe if I finally let this lady like, help her, then she'll leave me alone. That was her only hope, was that God would hear and respond. Or, or that this judge, rather, I jumped ahead, give the interpretation of the parable, spoiler alert. The widow's only hope was that this judge would hear and respond and help her. And friends, like the widow, we are needy. Our only hope to follow God, to even know God, to live fruitfully at all, is that God himself would help us. We are needy. We have no help, hope of helping ourselves. Jesus taught this. In John 15, 5, Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you might do all right, but not as great as you possibly could. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you can't do some things. Jesus didn't say, apart from me, you're going to get a little bit off track, but mostly get it right. Jesus didn't even say, apart from me, you might be able to do a little bit. Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. 
You can do nothing. The Christian life is grace all the way. We do not believe that we work our way halfway to God and he pulls us up the rest of the way. We do not believe that God starts our salvation and we finish it. It's grace all the way. We do not believe that we supply half the effort and God supplies half the effort and and that's how we grow and fight sin. It's grace all the way, friends. All of our efforts, which are necessary, are empowered by God's grace. We discipline ourselves, but it's a dependent discipline. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing, friends. Remember what I said, that Christianity is not great for motivational speakers? It's not, because apart from him, you can do nothing. It's not about the strength in you. Friends, we are weak. We are unable to help ourselves. And while this is an unpopular notion in our world, Jesus taught this. And also, if we're honest, we've experienced this. We know that we aren't strong enough to prevent trials from coming our way. So why on earth do we think we're strong enough to withstand them? We aren't holy enough to save ourselves from sin in the beginning. Why on earth do we think we would be holy enough to crush sinful habits with our own strength? We aren't powerful enough to save ourselves. Why do we ever think that we could be convincing enough to save our family or our coworkers? We are weak. We are weak. This is the point of Christianity. We are not the heroes. You are not the hero. Jesus is the hero. And your life will never make sense, friends, until you, you step out of the main character role, until you step out of the spotlight, and you agree and you believe that Jesus is the hero that you need. Because Jesus is the only one who wasn't needy. He's the only one that, fully in his own strength, empowered by God the Holy Spirit, lived a holy life. Only Jesus. Only Jesus. And yet we try to save ourselves. I doubt that there's anybody in this room who would say, I'm going to work my way out of hell and get to heaven. I don't think any of you think that or say that, or at least not honestly. I don't think you would admit that to yourself. And yet, maybe you are obsessed with making enough money so that you don't have to depend on other people. Maybe you're obsessed with padding your savings account so that you'll never have to ask for help. Maybe when you realize sin in your life, instead of confessing it, you think, okay, I've got to get my act together. God's not going to accept me this time. Maybe you think, I've really got to get my act together before I confess sin to my brothers and sisters. Because it sounds a lot better to say, you know, I've been struggling with sin, but God's given me victory. But that's not the point. If we don't confess our sins, we're cutting ourselves off from God's grace to help us. Friends, you're not the hero. You can't save yourself. 
You can't grow yourself. You can't improve yourself. Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing. You can do nothing. But the good news, friends, is that in Luke chapter 4, Jesus said he came to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Friends, Jesus came to free weak, broken people like me and like you. So if you're not the hero of your story, that's really good news because there's a better hero available to you. Friends, I hope you're feeling like you're at the end of your rope because that's what's going to bring you to Jesus and that's what's going to motivate prayer in your life is to recognize that you are not the hero. We are incredibly needy. Incredibly needy. Some people say God helps those who help themselves. Friends, that if you have that on a plaque or a pillow in your in your house, throw it away tonight. Bring it to Second Sunday Prayer. We'll burn it. That would be fun. And if that's been helpful to you, fine, but it's not, it's not true. God doesn't help those who help themselves. God looks at dead, weak people laying on the ground, and he's, he has pity on us. He shows mercy to us. That's his help going out to people who have no other hope. That's what God's mercy is. God, if God were only setting himself out to help those who help themselves, he would not be very busy, friends. But instead, he gives himself to the weakest. And that's good news for me because I'm in that category. The the 18th century preacher Charles Spurgeon said, God does not need your strength. He has more than enough on his own. He asks for your weakness. He has none of that. Friends, Jesus invites you to come to him today to stop striving and struggling and in his kindness, run to him for help. He invites you to come to him, not just in a vague sense of, yeah, I'll identify with Jesus, but specifically and concretely, he invites you to come to him and say, I'm needy and I need you today. I need you today to bring your specific burdens to him and to recognize that we are incredibly weak. We should always pray and not give up. And that's what Jesus is inviting you to because you are weak. Second truth that motivates prayer. Number one, we're incredibly needy. And number two, God is incredibly kind. So far, I've told you that you are a car that is out of gas and has no tires. And God is the most glorious mechanic. We do not have what we need. Oh, but friends, God has graciously promised to provide for us. And it's not because we are good enough. It's because he is unfailingly kind and merciful, and gracious, and slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. God is incredibly kind. 
Hear what Jesus says. So he's told us this story about this horrendous judge who gives a widow justice because he's a selfish pig. And then Jesus gives us the meaning of this parable. Verse 6, and the Lord said, that's Jesus, the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? Jesus is making a lesser to greater argument. He's saying, well, if this is what that judge did, who was a horrible person, what do you think God's going to do? If this is what the unrighteous judge has done, what do you think God is going to do? Because he's full of justice. He's full of justice. The 4th century theologian Augustine said, If he then heard her, her prayer who hated to be asked, how must God hear who exhorts us to ask? If that unrighteous judge heard this widow's cry for help when he didn't even want to hear it, how incredible is it to think that The infinite God who longs to hear your prayer, who begs you to bring him your prayer. How astoundingly kind do you think he will be to you? It's an argument from lesser to greater. And in verse 7, Jesus makes a comparison between the judge and God. And what he says is that God has a different character than this unrighteous judge, and therefore he's going to respond with a different action. God has a different character. He gives justice. And he gives it speedily. He doesn't delay in giving justice. Again, God's justice, not just the punishment of the wicked, but also the lifting up of the downtrodden. It's God's care for the needy. God is full of justice, friends. He's full of justice. When you have a need, you can bring it to him because God specializes in meeting needs. It's what he does. And who does he give this justice to supremely? Look at verse 7. Will not God give justice to his elect? That means chosen. God is giving justice to people that he has chosen. God is caring for needy people that he has chosen to be his own. Oh, friends, so many people argue about what that word means in the Bible. And we get distracted and we miss the glorious reality that at the very minimum it teaches us that God chooses us. That's astounding. God's chosen you. Weak as you are, he's chosen you, and he promises to help you. He's not just giving you lip service and be like, stick with me, buddy. We're going we're gonna to be in it. We, I'm going to take you far. He's, he's actually going to help you. He gives justice to his elect. Oh, friends, if you feel alone, if you feel like people have abandoned you, Just know that you are chosen by God if you're in Christ. That's astounding, friends. God is incredibly kind. You belong to him. 
We're his. We're not orphans anymore. He's made us his own. God has a different character, and that leads to a different action. The end of verse 7, will he delay long over them? That's a rhetorical question. The answer is no. No, he will not delay long over them. He brings justice to his people, and he brings it to them with speed. Oh, friends, he is wonderfully glorious and amazingly kind. We are incredibly needy, but God is incredibly kind. We have a seemingly infinite ditch of weakness, and God has an exceedingly infinite wealth of strength. You have no weakness that God is not able to help you with. You have no sin that God is not able to forgive and to conquer because he didn't even allow death to stop his plan, but rose his son Jesus from the dead. Friends, God has a different character than that unrighteous judge, and so you can depend that he will respond with a different action. He will give justice speedily. Notice the point of this parable is not, you know, God's like this unrighteous judge, and maybe if you keep pestering him, he'll help you. The point of the parable is actually to contrast the judge and God. And to say that judge is is awful, but God's not. God is strong and kind. Now, of course, it's hard to persevere in prayer. That's the whole point Jesus is telling us this parable. Remember verse 1? He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. It's not always easy to pray. It's not always easy to persevere in prayer. Because we live in a fallen world. Where sometimes it doesn't look like justice is going to be done. And sometimes, sometimes we say, God, if I really am your chosen one, it sure feels like you've abandoned me. And maybe your justice is coming, but it is not speedy. We cry out with the psalmist, How long, O Lord? And that's where verse 8 goes. I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? We have to persevere, and it's going to be hard. But we persevere with the reality that the Son of Man is coming back. That's Jesus. The Son of Man, Jesus, will come back. And at that time, we know with certainty that all justice will be done. And so in the meantime, we pray with confidence. And sometimes we see those prayers mercifully, graciously answered in time. And sometimes we persevere, knowing that God is dependable. You can't pray without faith. And Jesus says faith is a very Difficult commodity to preserve in this fallen world. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? But we do pray with confidence because we know that he is coming back. 
And so, friends, for those of you that have been praying long for a burden, continue. You ought always to pray and not give up. We need to persevere with confidence that Jesus is coming back. As we close, I want to share with you three reasons that maybe you don't pray like this. That maybe three reasons that keep us from devoting ourselves to prayer. And all of these come in light of these two realities that motivate prayer, that we are incredibly weak and God is incredibly kind Three reasons we don't pray. The first one is that we don't believe it'll make a difference. If we don't believe it's going to make a difference, we're not going to be like that widow every day, day after day, coming to the judge. Because it's going to seem fruitless to us. Maybe we'll go once or twice and be like, okay, that was fine, whatever. Friends, we should believe this about God, that he is not stingy. He is not begrudging to give you blessings. But he is kind. And he gives graciously to all who ask him. Friends, this has been proven in our church. When we started planning the week of prayer for this year, we looked back at what we prayed about last year, and almost every single one of those requests had been answered. It was, it was like a checklist. And the God had checked it all off, crumpled it up, threw it in the trash, and said, what do you got next? And so I said, well, we got to have a week of prayer again. That's cool. God has proven this in, his, in our church, friends. Friends, we have prayed in the last few weeks and months for sick people to be healed. And they have been. We've prayed for unemployed people to find jobs, and they have them. God has proven this over and over again to us, friends. And yet it's ultimately been proved at the cross of Christ, where God didn't even withhold his own son. What happened at the cross is that Jesus, the only unneedy one, lived a perfect life of kindness and gave himself to die for our sins. Our sins taken off of our account and placed on him on the cross, crucified. We earned death. Jesus said, I'll take that on. I'll pay that debt. And Jesus paid it. He paid it all and then rose victoriously from the grave three days later because that debt had no claim on him, friends. And if you're in Christ, it has no claim on you. Friends, do you see the infinite kindness of our God? Your sin has no claim on you if you just run to Christ in faith. Oh, friends, why on earth would we ever approach prayer like that and say, I don't know if it'll make a difference. God has proven his unfailing kindness to us by not even withholding his own son. So friends, retrain your brain by thanking God for answered prayer. 
When we do that, when we discipline ourselves to thank God for answered prayer, we're retraining ourselves. We're saying, I'm not going to believe that prayer doesn't matter anymore because God's proven it. So thank you, God. And sometimes we pray about something, like when we're sick, and we pray, God, will you help me feel better? And then God heals us, and we wake up the next day, and we're like, I sure am glad I'm feeling better. And then we go about our day. We completely forget that God even exists. Friends, you ought always to pray. Prayer ought to characterize everything you do. And when you pray for healing and God heals you, you ought to jump out of your seat and hit your knees and say, thank you, God, for healing me. You sustained my life when I couldn't do it. Don't just think the ibuprofen. Thank God. Why don't we pray? We don't believe it'll make a difference. But friends, remember that God is kind. Why don't we pray? Because we get bored. We pray the same things about the same things, and it gets boring. Let's be honest. But prayer doesn't have to be boring, friends. It shouldn't be boring. Let me give you two remedies for this. If you're feeling stuck in your prayer life, like, I'm just bored. That's not God's design for prayer. That's not God's design for prayer. Prayer is not the problem in that equation. So let me give you two remedies, two ways that you could change your prayer life. Grab a Bible, open it up to Psalm 43. We'll get there in a minute. I'm going to give you two tips. If you're feeling bored in prayer, remember these two tips. Number one, pray specifically. A concrete need. Say, God, help me in this way. That's what we're going to do this week in the week of prayer on our daily prayer calls. We're not just going to say, like, God, help us, you know, be good and stuff. We're going to be specific. We're going to say, God, we want you to do this in our church, and we need you to do this in our church, or we can't afford the mortgage. We're going to, we're going to pray like that. We're going to pray specifically and boldly and clearly. Sometimes we like to be vague in our prayers because we don't really believe God's going to answer them. We want to let him off the hook. Friends, remember, you're the needy one. You're the widow. You're the dead in sin one. God is the living, righteous one. God is the powerful one. God is able to save you. So pray specifically. And another one is to pray scripture. To pray scripture. If you find yourself just saying the same words about the same things every day, well, then use different words and use them in Scripture. That's why I wanted you to turn to Psalm 43. The book of Psalms is a great place to pray. There's 150 of them in your Bibles. So that means on any given date, you could pick out five to pray and pray through all of them in a month. Today's the 13th, so you could pray Psalm 13, or you could add 30 and pray Psalm 43, that's where I had you turn, or you could add 30 and pray Psalm 73, or you could add 30 and pray Psalm 103, or add 30 and pray Psalm 133, and then you're out of Psalms. I'm not saying you have to pray all five every day. Do that little calculus in your head, pray through all of them or skim through all of them and just choose one to pray. And ha, you know how to read the calendar date. And so now you never have an excuse of saying, I didn't know what to pray in the Bible. Tricked you. 
How do you do that? How do you do that? Here's what I like to do. I'm just going to do it right now. Psalm 43, verse 3. Send out your light and your truth. God, I thank you that you are the revealer of truth. I think that you, you brought light into my life, that you've helped me to see my sin, that you've guided me into the truth of your word. God, I thank you for the Bible. Let them lead me. God, I pray that the Bible would lead me today. I pray that I would live by your word, not my own intuition or my own worldly wisdom, but that I would depend fully on you by following your word. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. God, I want to dwell with you. God, I confess that I have not devoted myself to prayer, but that I've loved other things more. And so, God, I pray that you would wake me up out of that, that I would, that I would be driven to your holy hill and to your dwelling, that I would love to pray more. Guide me, God. Lead me, God. Do the same for others that might be struggling with prayer. Amen. Something easy like that. Read a phrase. Whatever comes to your mind, you pray. You pray about it. Read another phrase. Whatever comes to your mind, you pray about it. Why don't we pray? We don't believe it'll make a difference. We get bored. Pray specifically and pray scripture. The two S's. Maybe that'll help you. Maybe not. And finally, we don't prioritize it. We believe that we have better things to do, typically sleep. Oh, but friends, remember your neediness. You can't afford to not pray. Like our posture in prayer should be, God, I am cooked if you don't show up. God, I have no other hope. I have no other plea. I need you today. I can't do this without you. Oh, God, teach us that, please. Give us that kind of mindset. Give me that kind of mindset. We need to believe, John 15, 5, that apart from Jesus, we can't do anything. We need to believe that, and that will drive us to prayer. Friends, remember your neediness, and remember God's greatness. The king of kings is calling you to himself, a private audience, as many times a day as you want. That's astounding. Why wouldn't we pray? Why wouldn't we go to this holy God who reigns over the earth with justice? Remember God's greatness. And remember that God's greatness, God's holiness, ought to drive us away from prayer. We have no right, sinful rebels as we are, to to come before the king of kings for an audience. We are rebels through and through. How on earth would God ever accept our prayers? Based on the blood and the righteousness and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, it's not enough to be spiritual. God takes your spirituality and he says, that is ugly. Unless it is clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Your prayers deserve no response. But God has purchased his answers, his mercies, his ear. He's purchased it at the cross where Jesus died 
to bring you back. Let's not run from him any longer. We should always pray and not give up. Not because we feel guilty about prayer, but because the God of all grace has invited us and paid for us and drawn us in. What a Savior.